Well, good morning. Oh, my name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It's a joy uh, to be up here preaching God's word to you. Um, as Emma just read, we're going to find ourselves in Psalm 27 this morning. We're looking at verses 4 and 5. If you are new, we'd love to hang out with you. We want to take you out to lunch or coffee or whatever your thing is. There are these connect cards before you in the chairs that you're seated in. Man, fill one out, drop it off in the connect desk, which is in the back. Uh, Someone will get back with you within 24 hours. That's service. And so whether it's praying for you or taking you out to lunch, we'd love the opportunity to do uh, both of those or either one of those. In addition to that, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to hook you up. We want to give you with the Bible. And so also in the chairs before you are Bibles. Uh, That is our gift to you. Take one uh, with you. If you know someone who would benefit from having a Bible, hook them up. There are more in the Connect Desk as well in uh, the back on on the north side of us. Anyway, with all that being said, let's dig into our time. Last week we began a sermon series titled Reset, and I mentioned that the purpose behind this series was for us to reset our heart and mind on the beauty and splendor of God in Christ. In, in light of this last season, uh, with things returning to normalcy, or in lieu of heavy doctrine from our last two sermon series in, in Colossians and Philemon, I felt that it would be good for us to begin the summer in the Psalms and reset our heart, reset our mind and our affections toward the Lord. Um, We decided to walk through Psalm 27 for the next six weeks as Psalm 27 addresses everything from fear, which is what we examined last week, to thanksgiving, which was a weighty theme for us throughout Colossians, to dwelling in the presence of the Lord, which is where we find ourselves in today. And so let me begin by asking you a question, because I love asking questions. Do you ever consider that? Do you ever consider whether or not your desire is to dwell in the presence of the Lord? For the last couple of weeks, we've been doing this Mr. Rogers approach to things where I take 10 seconds to give us time to think about that question. And so let's do that now. I'll keep the timer. Do you ever consider whether or not your desire is to dwell in the presence of the Lord? Do you ever think that's what you need? Do you ever think that's what your greatest need is? Last year, though, we were home together a lot more just as everyone else in this room was. My wife and I would spend most of our days slaves to our schedule. We would do uh, work around the house. I would still have meetings and appointments over Zoom, as many of y'all became Zoom members. Spending my days studying, my wife attending to her business, and at the same time, at some point, learning and realizing that my family and I, though we were home more, only came together for dinner once or twice a week. And I remember that 
I began to think that our rhythms were not only unhealthy, but we seemed very independent from one another. And I began thinking through a bunch of things, and one of the things I would, I would ask myself is, what do I really desire from my wife? Because clearly I felt a void. I couldn't articulate what it was, but I felt a void. Because when it came to the rhythms, uh, or I should say the everyday rhythms of us being at home together, everything took care of itself. Chores were taken care of, tasks were done, responsibilities were met, work was being done and accomplished, bills were getting paid, food was on the table. In addition to that, at one point, right, I lived by myself, and so those same rhythms existed when I lived by myself, and so here I am in this season of 2020 at the time, asking myself, man, what is it that I really desire from my wife? And so I would talk about it with her, and she'd give me questions, and she'd give me feedback, and so I'd go back and process and think about it, and then finally it hit me. Over dinner one night, I told her that my desire, what I needed, what I longed for, is her presence. A faithful presence with me or around me. Everything else was just a task, an obligation, a chore, but what made me feel disconnected from my wife was not being in her presence, because in her presence, I'm fully known by her. And I'm not just exist existing next to her, I am known. And though it's not the same thing, do you ever consider, as you're reflecting upon your relationship with the Lord Jesus, do you ever consider the presence of God as your deepest desire? Could you sense a void, maybe not articulate it, but could you sense a void? Our, our main idea for our time comes in the form of this question, do you ever consider that in the presence of the Lord is where you are fully known and satisfied in God himself? And that's what I want us to consider this morning. That's what I want us to consider as we examine God's word this morning. That whether or not our deepest desire is to dwell in the presence of the Lord. And I'm not gonna lie to you, as we jump into prayer, man, this morning and this week, I've struggled to even embrace this text. I've struggled to believe it because like you, I got other things that are calling my attention. I got other things that are calling my affection. And those other things aren't just responsibilities. Those other things are frustrations or irritations or the season that I find myself in. I got other things that are trying to pull me away from this. Therefore, I struggle to even believe this text. And so, man, I'm asking that you would pray for me as I pray for you so that as we dive into this text, we would consider that our deepest desire is the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. God, my, my hope and prayer is that your word this morning would be sweeter to us than honey. God, I pray that you would meet us where we are this morning. Holy Spirit, I know that you are present among us. I'm asking that you would be at work in us. 
God, I pray that you would be glorified, that Jesus would be exalted this morning, and that we would be sanctified, that our eyes would be fixed upon the Lord Jesus, that our hearts would be aligned with your will, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we find ourselves in verses four and five this morning, I I want you to walk into these two verses with the momentum that we got from last week. I really enjoyed last week, got some really good feedback from you, really good uh, conversations with y'all about fear. If you weren't here, uh, you should go back and listen to that sermon, it's online. Other than that, let's walk into this with the momentum from last week. Last week, as we addressed fear, I said that that fear is not the absence of courage. Rather, it is the absence of assurance. And in the opening of this psalm, in verses 1 through 3, it's kind of a review. We see that, that King David is fearful of something. We're not sure of exactly what it is or who it is, but we see that he is fearful. And he does two things in the opening part. Part of this psalm. The first is that he begins to preach to himself on God's character and God's faithfulness for him. We saw that last week in verses 1 through 3. That's the first thing David does in the midst of whatever circumstance he is experiencing. The second thing that David does is that he begins to think the worst case scenario and stacks his fear up against the faithfulness of God. We talked a little bit about that last week, right? That when it comes to how we address fear, we looked at a couple of articles and uh, a, a couple of different opinions by specialists, and people would say that you should ignore your fear, that you should back away from your fear, that you should get yourself away from the situation. But when we examine Psalm 27, what David does is that he actually walks himself to the edge and thinks the worst case scenario, as if our anxiety didn't go up when we learned that. But David does does that for the purpose of stacking his fear up against the faithfulness of God. And in doing so, we come to learn what's underneath all of it. We come to learn that the heart of his strategy is to dwell in the presence of God. In spite of his circumstance, in spite of your season, that at the heart of it, his desire is the presence of the Lord. And as we examine verses four and five, we're just gonna unpack what that looks like. And so beginning in verse four, um, I actually don't even have the right text, but beginning in verse four, one of the things you'll see is that David opens up by saying, one thing have I asked of the Lord. As David turns to the Lord in his circumstance, we see him investigate the depth of his heart and he desires one thing. He doesn't desire multiple things. He doesn't say things like, man, Lord, I I, I wanna be in your presence, but I also want you to get me out of this. He doesn't ask God questions like, man, what is it that you're doing in this season? He doesn't ask questions like, how could this happen to me? Or he doesn't begin to think, I don't know what God is up to. David does not submit questions or he does not submit uh, desire for multiple things, which is what you and I would do. Instead, he desires for one thing, to dwell 
in the house of the Lord. He says it this way in verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Here's why that's so important. David is asking to dwell in the presence of the Lord because the Lord is his one deepest desire. Like that's it. When you uncover everything and when you get to the heart of David's heart in spite of his circumstance, his one desire is the Lord himself. And by presence, David is not simply saying that he wants to be around God, but that he wants to be in relationship with God, that at the heart of his entirety is to be or is to desire to be in a relationship with God, fully and absolutely known by him. Paul says something similar to the Colossians, and we looked at this uh, when we were going through Colossians. In Colossians 3, Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That little word, if, it's not so much a word of accusation, It could be better translated to the word since. And so what Paul really is saying, since you have been raised with Christ, since you belong to the Lord, set your mind on things that are above. And you can fully and absolutely do that because the Spirit of God dwells in you. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon says this about that one thing. He says, let all our affections be bound up in one affection and that affection set upon heavenly things. You and I, as followers of Jesus, get what David is desiring right now. You and I get what he is desiring through the dwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in us. You and I receive communion with God because in the presence of God, in communion with him, we are fully known by him. We are entirely satisfied in Jesus. And once more, This is at the heart of David's desire. Look at verse 7 in Psalm 27. He says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Church, is this your desire? In spite of your circumstance, in spite of your season this morning, Christian, is this your desire? David goes on to say that in the presence of God, he is hidden, he is concealed, and he is lifted by God. Well, what does it mean to be hidden, concealed, and lifted? When he uses the word hidden, he means that he is protected by God, to be kept from harm. It is similar once more to what Paul tells the Colossians, that their life is hidden in Christ. It is salvific language that they belong to God. Who they were is not who they are. Just like he preaches that to you, Christian, who you were is not who you are. Therefore, your life is now hidden 
in Christ. To belong, to belong to God is to be saved by God, fully known and fully vulnerable. I mean, think about the moment you came to know the Lord Jesus. In that moment, it wasn't just that you recognized, man, I am a sinner in need of grace. In that moment, you were fully exposed, fully vulnerable, and now you belong to him. And so the word hidden is more of relational language. The word concealed means that regardless of how David may be perceived by others, whether they're ridiculing him or making fun of him or talking smack behind him or spreading rumors or lies or whatever, regardless of how he may be perceived by others, God knows the depth of David's heart in this moment. Psalm 27 isn't him just spitting out some Christianese, right? He's not just putting some clever hashtags on his Instagram so that you would know that he's a Christian, right? He's not just slapping fishes at the back of his van. Right now in Psalm 27, he is exposing the depths of his heart and he is confident that at the depth of his heart, in spite of his circumstance, his deepest desire, his greatest need is the presence of the Lord. And then he adds that, that God will lift him up. To be lifted means to be, to be encouraged, to be strengthened. I mean, think about it. When you consider the life of David, homeboy was either like engaged in battle, ruling a nation, being hunted. Like he's got things on his to-do list, right? And not all of them were uh, awesome, right? Some of them were really, really difficult. Yet in spite of those seasons, whether it was because of his sin or in light of other sins against him, in spite of those seasons, he knows that he will be strengthened. That doesn't mean he backs off of that season. That doesn't mean that he shirks his responsibilities. That doesn't mean that he bounces. But in spite of that, he is confident that the Lord will strengthen his heart. Why? Because at the depth of his heart, his deepest desire is God himself. Psalm 27 wasn't an escape but worship for King David. Pastor theologian James Boyce says it this way, it was not the earthly temple itself that charmed David, but rather the beauty of the Lord that was to be found at the temple in a special way. It is the Lord himself that he is seeking. David knows that because he belongs to the Lord, his deepest desire and experience is to be in communion with God. And he emphasizes this by using different words to describe almost his desperation, his desire to be in his presence. He uses words like the house of the Lord. That's where he wants to go. He wants to dwell in his temple. He wants to be in his shelter. He wants to go to his tent. He's using words to describe the desperation of him wanting so badly to be in the presence of the Lord. King David's deepest desire is to be in the presence of God because it is in the presence of God that we are known and our thirst is satisfied. Is your deepest desire to dwell in the presence of God. And the question many of you may have is, well, yes, I do want to be in the presence of the Lord, but how do we pursue the presence of God? If the Holy Spirit resides in me, isn't, isn't that it? And I would say yes and no. 
I would say yes. If you are a Christian, be encouraged. The Holy Spirit dwells in you and you can experience the presence of God daily. So please don't hear that you can't. You can. And no in the sense that you don't simply do nothing. See, when it comes to our sanctification, it is us responding to the work of God in us through the Holy Spirit. And the problem for many of you is that you desire to forfeit your sanctification, thinking that you can get to the place where King David is at by not doing anything. And oftentimes it's discouraging for you or even disheartening for you because the, 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 the reality is that it requires two things. We're going to unpack it in four ways, but it requires two things that we don't necessarily like. And it requires thinking deeply on the things of God and communion with the saints. And if we're honest, like we're just putting it on the table, these are two things that we would rather not do. We'd rather not think deeply of the things of Christ. We'd rather not be in communion with the saints. And I get it. Because the question is, I mean, how could we desire to be in the presence of the Lord? How could we when our hearts are enamored by idols as we looked at last week? How could we desire to be in the presence of the Lord when our attention and affection is being pulled by everything else. You and I have the Holy Spirit residing in us now, and yet we still turn and run away. And so this morning, let me submit to you that if we desire to be in the presence of the Lord, to commune with him, to dwell in his presence, then we must seek the Lord. And so let's talk about how we pursue the presence of the Lord, how we get to that desire being met. And the first thing is that we seek. We see this in verse four. David says, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after. The word seek is incredibly important because it's specific. It's the Hebrew word that means to go and get counsel, specifically to go and seek God's will. Now, check it. I'm just gonna put this on the table. I'm just gonna say this, we're all friends, I hope, maybe. God's will is parallel to God's word, okay? God's will is always parallel to God's word. And how we begin to dwell in the presence of the Lord is by drawing near to him through his word. Why? Because this is where God reveals himself to us. We cannot seek God's will and separate his word. You see, in that moment, when you and I do that, in that moment, what we're saying is that we want God to be molded the way we want him to be molded. In essence, what you and I do when we separate his will from his word, what we desire is disobedience. You just sprinkle some Christianese over it. In that moment, you and I desire disobedience. But God's word and God's will are inseparable. And if we do not begin here, we will never be able to gaze upon his beauty and splendor. Additionally, when we seek the Lord's will, we are learning the truth of God. 
we distill God's word. You know what it means to distill, to extract everything that we can from what we are reading in God's word. We learn about the truth of ourselves. Once more, Charles Spurgeon says, holy desires must lead to resolute actions. Go back to verse four. Look at how David puts it. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after. He's not saying, man, one thing have I desired. You know, I'm gonna pray about this. Uh, man, I'm going to talk to my discipleship group about this. I'm going to write it in my journal, see how I feel in the morning, right? And he says, man, the one desire I have to be in the presence of God, I'm going to seek after it. There, there is action that is followed by this holy desire, as Spurgeon puts it. And so David does not separate God's will from God's word. And so that's where it begins, it doesn't end there, but that's where it begins. Number two, man, how do we seek after the presence of God? We meditate. We meditate. This is incredible work because it's not simply thinking, but it's engaging the word of God with questions about God and his work and his promises and his holiness and his righteousness. Here, when it comes to meditation, you're gonna stretch yourself as far as you can with everything that you have to see God not through your eyes, but through the eyes of your heart because you have been enlightened by God. Because if you say, man, I follow Jesus, I love Jesus, and the Spirit of God dwells in you, your eyes have been enlightened. You have access to God because of Jesus. You can do this. When it comes to meditation, here's where you're asking pointed questions. And we were talking about this in our Friday night group a couple of weeks ago, that when we approach God's word, I think many of us are really good about asking a, a good amount and a variety of questions, but sometimes our priori priorities to those questions are a little whack. Like we might read God's word and be like, okay, what am I getting out of this? What's my fill for this? You might read God's word and well, how do I feel about this? You might read God's word and ask like, man, what is it that God is doing, right? Those aren't necessarily bad questions. I just think they're in the wrong order. And so if we're going to meditate upon God's word and God's will, we need to ask better questions when we approach his word. We need to ask questions like, how does this passage connect to the person and work of Jesus? Man, how does this text reveal my need for a savior? Does this text tell me anything about the commands of God? Does it tell me anything about the promises of God? Is sin highlighted or is it explicitly shown or implicitly shown? If you want to copy of those questions, I'll hook you up. But apart from that, we need to ask those kinds of questions. We're not knocking on the other questions, but when we start with, well, how do I feel about this? When we start with questions such as those, we're going to make it about ourselves. And when we make it about ourselves, we're separating that word and will. Because this is about me. No, this is for you. It is not about you. Right? The reason we gather here is not to worship you. Right? We gather here to worship the holy God. And so when we're meditating, we're thinking deeply on the things of God, asking pointed questions. And if you're wondering like, well, man, I don't know, that's when you ask. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Number three, we gaze upon the beauty. Another word here would be delight. And how do we seek after the presence of God? We delight 
in the beauty and splendor of God. That sounds very like, sounds very poetic. I don't know. I don't know how to delight. I hunt animals or do other stuff, right? I'm not, I'm not very poetic. Here's, here's the thing, right? We're going to be straight up. Everyone knows how to delight or to gaze upon something. Everybody. In that same verse, David says, uh, this is verse four, excuse me. All the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire. To inquire means to give all of his attention. That as he gazes upon the Lord, he's going to give all of his attention to the beauty and splendor of God. And once more, everyone, everyone here, all of us know exactly what it looks like to delight or to, the, or to gaze upon the beauty of something. We do it with everything else except God. I mean, think about your career. Think about your family. Think about your hobbies, your interests. You give them your attention. Even good things, some not so good things. You give them your attention. You give them your time. You give them your affection. You are consumed by the process. Like by definition, this is how we make our one thing our one thing. Yesterday we had a men's breakfast and, and I was sitting with some of the guys and one of them said, uh, I got to be really careful, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, I got to be really careful with some of the hobbies that I, I want to jump into. And the reason I got to be really careful with that is because, man, once I find a hobby that interests me, I just dive into everything, right? And he goes on to explain what that looks like. He does the research, he looks at reviews, he's on YouTube, like he expands upon Whatever the hobby is, he's going to dive all into it. By definition, that's seeking, meditating, and delighting. So it's not like it's foreign to us here in this room. If you got a hobby of interest, something that like, you're known for, yeah, it's because you sought after it. <laughs> it's because you've meditated deeply on how to make coffee a certain way and what method is better and the arguments on that method. And then you delight in it because you watch yourself as you pour coffee, right? Like that's delighting, right? Gazing upon the beauty of your pour over is delighting, right? So all of us know how to delight. And you're like, well, I don't know how I would do that. Insert whatever your thing is. You could do the same thing with family. It's the same thing, man. I'm going to seek after a family. Cool, bro. You do that, right? You meditate upon it. This is how I'm going to propose to her. This is how I'm going to say yes to him. These are the things that I'm going to do. You start thinking about all of these different kinds of uh, uh, thoughts, and you start asking yourself even pointed questions, right? Because sometimes it's like, man, well, I don't know how to ask myself pointed questions when it comes to meditating upon God's word. But you do know how to ask yourself some pointed questions when it comes to your interests. It's the same thing. You're doing the research, you're reading the reviews, you're checking out what's going on, and then how do you delight in it? You're like, yeah, she said yes. <laughs> right, you're like, you delight in it. No te hagas, you know, right? You, all of us here know how to delight. So why can't we do this with the Lord? Why can't we delight and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord? We can't blame our circumstances. We can't blame others. We can only take responsibility because we live this out in our everyday lives with everything except God. If 
we are going to gaze upon the beauty of God, then our affections must turn toward him. Our affections must be invested and enamored by him. Psalm 1 reads this, blessed, and that word blessed means happy. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. It's a really cool dude. But check it, he says this, here's what his delight is. In spite of all of those things, here's his delight. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You and I know how to seek, meditate, and to gaze upon the beauty of something. Because whatever that one thing is, apart from the presence of God, that's how it got to be one thing. By us delighting in it, gazing upon it, meditating on it, seeking after it. And finally, communion with the saints. And how do we seek after the presence of God? Man, we do it together within the communion of the saints. The people of God is part of fighting to be in the presence of God. It's part of fighting for it because it is the church that will help you to point you to continue seeking and fixing your eyes upon Jesus. It is the church that's going to help you meditate the truths or meditate on the truths of God. It is the church that is going to gaze upon the beauty of Christ with you. And, and here's, here's what I find in our church. I find that when it comes to us hanging, it's legit. We throw some of the best parties. I dig it, right? You, all you got to do is invite five people and 50 show up, right? Like, I love how we throw down. You know what I'm saying? And even when it comes to our smaller gatherings, right, as if a party is a small gathering. Anyway, when it comes to some of our gatherings, man, a lot of us are really good about hanging out with one another, but if we're honest, we don't always talk about the things of God. We assume that because we go to the same church, you're cool with God. Or, on the other hand, here's what we got. Some of you are some nerds, really strong, theologically-minded individuals, and I love that because you've been thinking deeply on the things of God, but you are not known by the church. Nobody knows you. And you'll pull out your theology. You'll show all the dead guys, well, this is what I'm reading, this is what's going on, but nobody knows you. That's, that's a disconnect for us. And so if you and I are going to seek after the presence of God because that is what we want our deepest desire to be, that's how we're going to challenge one another and encourage one another and exhort one another and push us to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord together, then when we gather in some of these gatherings, we have to talk about the things of God. And I would much rather be honest and say, man, I actually haven't been reading. <laughs> some of us don't want to say that. Because then it means, why, bro? Why haven't you been reading? <laughs> right? Everybody gets on, uh, no, I've been, I read the proverb of the day. Right? When it comes to communion with the saints, the idea here is, man, that we are 
driving, pointing, discipling, encouraging one another to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord because each one of us knows how weak we can be. And so by coming alongside with one another, man, we're going to point one another to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Remember, church, the Lord's word and his will are inseparable. And so as we close, all season, I don't check out yet, all season, right, this past year, last year, what you got going on, sepa, right, like whatever your thing is, all season, it seems as if everything else has competed for our attention. It seems as though everything else has competed for our affections. And the truth is, it's not going to stop. It's not going to stop. And that's the simple reality of it. However, let me encourage you in saying that the Holy Spirit is not going to stop either. He's not going to stop. He resides in you, church. And his role is to counsel, to convict, to challenge, and to comfort you. So in this moment, if you realize that when it comes to gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, it's something that you've just failed at, you've dropped the ball in, or it seems completely non-existent in your life right now, it is not foreign to him. And there is grace for you. There is grace for you. Because when Jesus entered into human history, stepping into our world and our mess, taking responsibility for our sin and then dying on a cross in our place for our sin and reconciling us to the Father, he knew what he was doing. To be reconciled means that you have been restored to a right relationship with God. Christian, you have been reconciled. Therefore, the experience of, of this beautiful desire to be in the presence of God, it is for you to have. It is for you to have. So as we close, Christian, what competes for your desires? What or who are you listening to that turn your gaze away from the Lord Jesus? Do you find yourself not even engaged in his word? That is, that you find yourself not even seeking after him. Confess that before him. It's not foreign. Confess that before him. Confess your heart before him this morning. And may he meet you where you are with his grace. And may you gaze upon the beauty and seek after him. That seeking begins today. And if you're not a Christian, I want you to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And I know that you can because you could do it with everything else. However, apart from Jesus, you cannot experience this holy desire. Yet, he invites you to come and know him, ready to pardon you as you turn from your sin and turn toward him and place your trust in Jesus. Not only does he forgive, he restores, and it is there that you can gaze upon the beauty and splendor of God. Church, may we desire the presence of the Lord this morning. May we desire to be in his presence where we are fully known and satisfied in him. Let's pray.
God, you sent Jesus to seek and save the lost. God, we confess that we have strayed from you and turned aside from your way. We are misled by pride, for we see ourselves pure when really we're stained. Honestly, I know that we struggle to believe whether or not our desire is actually to be in your presence. So Lord, help our unbelief. We have failed in love and ignored your truth. Forgive us. Forgive us, Father, of our sin. Return us to paths of righteousness through Jesus, our good God and Savior. May our desire and delight be to dwell in your presence where we are known, where our thirst is satisfied and our heart is aligned with your will. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you this morning. Amen.